Hello, welcome to episode 44 of Dream Signs in the Times. I'm Lori Lacey, and today we're going to take a little bit of a jaunt through the time loop and jump around a little bit in some wormholes, because <laughs> some strange stuff has happened, and some of it came together as a result of this podcast doing one of them. But uh, we're going to explore the language of the universe and the language of past lives and the nature of how energy speaks to us and the universe speaks to us. So obviously the dream world is a, an element in this. The world of dreams and visions. And let's talk for a second about the difference between a dream and a vision um so it seems obvious that a vision is something that we have a waking knowledge of and we are in that awakened state you know physically awake and mentally alert and our awareness is projected outward at that point in time and something happens inward but we have a sensory awareness that is coordinated to be in that waking state. The dream world happens when we're in a sleep state, which is that internal state of uh, perception and being, which in where our senses are turned inward, but they're also um, on break from gathering new information externally, except for to, whatever to keep us aware and alive, you know, um, it's like we can wake up quickly if we need to most of the time, but things like that, you know, if a sound happens. But for the most part, the senses are put in their little drawer for the evening or night or, or if somebody sleeps during the day. So, um, but I'm going to talk through a situation where I had a, a, a perception of a past life situation that actually changed the course of my life in a way that was supposed to happen, but it it highlighted some underlying directives. And so uh, I'll get into that in a second. The last episode, I think I misused the word insipid. And I was talking to a friend of mine at jujitsu and and I said, man, I, I think I meant to use a different word. And he said, I and I described to him that I was trying to describe something that was fiendish or um, you know, some negative force. And he's like, oh, you mean insidious? And I was like, duh. You know, I was definitely moving towards that. And um, insipid came up. But the reason this comes up here is that it, the word came up in some of my vocabulary practice. And I realized that, I, and I can't remember if I actually used the word incorrectly, but I, I, I'm fairly certain I did. And it was the universe knocked on my door and said, hey, this is how this is supposed to be used, which means insipid is like drained or lifeless kind of vibe and definitely not what I was going after. And I really wanted that word to mean, you know, the insidious thing. But so and I'm going to continue to use vocabulary words. I It's so funny because I've talked about how words don't quite cut it or grab all the energy of a situation. But the coordination of words helps with the delivery of um, information from person to person. And it's it's like a bridge or a vehicle for the psychic energy that we're transferring back and forth. And I'm starting to understand what role it plays. I love playing with words. They're like art or anything else, you know, uh, colors on a canvas or notes with music or, you know, any 
nuances of those particular pursuits, uh, they are that tool. And so, uh, but it's just so funny because the universe was like, it just showed up the next day in my vocabulary practice. I was like, oh, you're kidding me. So I'm going to continue to use vocabulary words, how they come out. And if, if I catch them, I'll correct myself. If not, we'll just trip over them together uh, as we, you know, run through all this stuff. So um, regardless, they're fun and um, I like them. And so this is leading me to how the universe speaks to us. It's so weird that it would happen on such a trivial, seemingly trivial thing, but it's the language, that kind of thing, when it shows up and you're like, oh my gosh, it's showing me, uh, it's speaking to me for some reason. The universe has spoken to me in the strangest ways with the vision um, thing. Uh, so back in, I'm going to say, it was, it was 2012, and I was about 44, 45 years old at that point. And, um, wait, 2012 would be, yes, I had 45 because I hadn't turned 46 yet. Okay, doing the math, doing the math. Um, and uh, I had a vision, and I had had a vision for a few years of a woman in a burgundy cloak that was running in the dark. And you'd think, okay, that's some kind of little Red Riding Hood reference, some kind of thing. And, and it, it, it kept coming at me, but it was just like a thing where you'd blink your eyes and there she would be. And I'm just like, what are you doing here? And one day I realized that she was somebody who was singing in an opera and that she was playing an operatic role. And there was this tag energy of Mozart associated with this. And... At that point in time, I had been kind of coming off of singing rock music, you know, metal and all that for a few years and uh, doing it professionally. And I was at a point where I wanted to develop my voice more, but I'd always had trouble with classical singing. I'd tried it, you know, 20 or so years before that and had a really difficult time. And it didn't, my study didn't last very long because I just couldn't get my head around and my body to speak with the vibrato that was necessary and all these things. So um, I studied rock voice, found a great teacher in Los Angeles area, and then you know, started developing that because the, the, the Dow kind of pulled me, said, okay, here's a preview of this. You're not quite ready for it. Move me into the rock thing. And then it came back in the, in the form of this woman in the cloak. Well, the plot thickens with that because, um, I felt such a, an overwhelming need to pursue this that I asked somebody one day, um, is there a, a fairly high level opera teacher in this town where I live? And somebody pointed, I was at a chamber music concert and they pointed to, uh, we were in a church and there were like three pews back on the uh, other side was this woman who was, had sung at the Metropolitan Opera and she was the new voice teacher at the college where I was, I had just actually gotten a job at that college and uh, as an adjunct professor. And it was the weirdest thing because it was like, there she was. And uh, I started taking lessons from her. Well, I felt compelled to keep moving through this. And right away, we I brought her the queen of the night aria, the um, de Halleraka. And um, my, I need to practice my German a little more, but again, <laughs> but um, they... Uh, you know, uh, 
I started working on that and she decided to cast this opera and I was able to sing that opera within a, a year of studying voice with her. The, the strange part is there is a past life connection to this whole thing. I became kind of obsessed with it and it was related to Mozart. And the story with Mozart is that he wrote a bunch of operas um, for castrati sopranos, which are male sopranos that had been castrated at a certain age to retain their high singing voices. He was also one of the first composers to start writing for female singers. And it became clear that I was connected with the energy of either one of these castrati or one of the sopranos um, that he had worked with. And I thought it was a castrato for a long time. And then I, you know, some of the, the dates didn't line up. So I was, and I, you know, I, the, the opera, the magic flute, which is what the, the, um, uh, queen of the night aria comes from is, um, the, one of the la later works that Mozart wrote. So some of these, uh, castrati that were singing wouldn't, wouldn't have necessarily been alive at the time that he wrote that one. But there was a sense that somebody that he had worked with wanted to sing that aria in that particular, um, opera and some of his later operas, but they didn't get to because a certain soprano got to sing it and, uh, the soprano was a female. So, I felt that by pursuing this, I was that energy of that particular person from that time was working through my body in order to feel what it was like to sing that Mozart opera and perform it. And it was the strangest thing is I went so far as to study opera in a program in Europe. And I studied in Austria, which is where Mozart lived. He didn't live in this particular city that I know of that I studied in, but that's the only uh, American um, institute that there was there to study opera uh, in Graz, Austria. And so, and I felt compelled to visit Vienna, which is where a lot of his um, works were uh, performed. And I got that whole feeling of Mozart when I was in Vienna. Just it was just I was just there for a day, but I was you know there's the grandeur of the opera houses and and then the the feeling of classical music that imbues the entire vibration of Vienna. Um, it's crazy how far I went to to do this, and I realized that there was something in my makeup and in my soul's directive that I was supposed to meet out this particular desire for whoever this soprano was. It might have been Rauzzini, which was uh, a castrato that was famous and had the same type of um, voice that I have. I was born with this like huge operatic voice with agility in a certain so um I was a dramatic or I am a dramatic coloratura that's the what Fach I am uh, labeled as as far as just the type of voice that I have and so uh I would say that I'm probably bringing out or bringing to bear that person's uh desire because he was alive at that time um to sing those Mozart arias uh and he did sing Mozart's earlier works but um, this thing was so en encompassing for me that I was willing to go to to Europe to to see it through. And then once I sang that one and the um, Entführung 
aus dem Sarai, Sarai uh, the, the abduction from the Sarelio uh, aria also, Ach ich liebte, um, I, I got to sing that with an orchestra there. It was funny because I didn't have a lot of experience. I only had two, two years of, of uh, operatic experience when I went to that program. And I was with all these people who had a bunch of uh, experience. And, but I, I got selected to sing that particular aria with the orchestra in, a, in one of their little um, or, uh, features. Uh, it wasn't on stage, but it was, it was one of these things that was like a slight honor to, to, to do, and it was that aria. And it's so bizarre because it was uh, that after that point, I knew I had completed the task. And um, so these underlying directives that we have, the reason this plays into Dream Signs and the Times is that um, I want to talk about what success really means. And when we're following these underlying directives, it's, it's, uh, it's an odd thing because there are ideas of what success are for people that, okay, I've got to do this because I see that that's what people who have my talent set do. And in order to be considered successful, I have to either be on TV or sing in the Met or do these things. Sometimes these things actually have way deeper meaning than that. And we get caught up in these external, um, you know, valuations of success when some of us, like my goals for myself were to do things as deeply as possible in my life and to be proud of the level at which it's executed. And so I put a lot of stock in practicing uh, different skill sets and being the best I possibly can in the things that I do. And, but uh, and, you know, we want some of this external payoff. I've, I've been a struggling musician for a long time, but I've done some of the coolest things that, that I, I need, couldn't even imagine, have imagined. And yes, I've had like 40 plus jobs of that were considered like not successful in that particular arena. I learned a lot from those jobs, though, and I made myself be present during jobs, especially type service oriented jobs where I was like the front desk at a at a, um, you know, like the hostess at a, a restaurant or some things that where I felt like, oh, this is getting me from A to A to point A to point B. But I tried to be present. And, and what I learned from that particular thing was how to interact with the public under certain um conditions. So most of these jobs, if we see them as a bridge to get where we want to go, will teach us some things that we might be missing. I'm super sensitive. So dealing with the public was was a hard thing. And if I had gotten an easy route up with like, let's say um, a manager early on that got me, you know, into some major high profile gigs and all this stuff early on, I would have been under somebody else's control too too early. And I needed to develop, I needed to become strong so that other people couldn't necessarily control every aspect of my life. I had this weird independent streak that I, I love, but it's also, I had a couple of offers for big, big things in Los Angeles and I turned them down because I could just feel that it was going to be smarmy or I was going to lose something in it where I was going to lose my love of doing what I do with music. And that is the, the other pay, the other, um, comparison that you have to to make sometimes is like yes that might be considered successful but I would have been playing a type of music that I friggin hate and I'm not even gonna say what it was 
Okay, I'm going to say what it was. Smooth jazz. Oh, some people love it. If you love it, I'm sorry. It's not. But playing that, listening to it is one thing. But having that be your entire identity and your life, if that's not your goal, is like, you know, uh, it, it's like playing wedding music all the time. You know, yes, it's fun and it's cool and you get paid decent wages for that kind of thing. But it's not ultimately like this creative endeavor. And I, I had too much of a creative side to let myself get plugged into that particular deal. So, um, the, what, but these, these higher directives, sometimes we are, uh, bringing together karma from something. I may have been one of those singers in that past life. I don't know what I believe in that right now, as far as like, if we are the literal translation of somebody's soul energy in another person's body, I've seen a lot of people, um, be, have a resonance with uh, historical figures and they're sure that they're the reincarnation of that person. But then I've met, uh, especially like Mary Magdalene and a couple of other ones, there are people who are sure that they're the reincarnation of that. The, the person may be uh, fulfilling some of what the undone karma is or the unfinished karma is uh, for that person and, and feel a need to do that. And, but I don't know that we are, cause I, you know, I relate to Queen Elizabeth one a lot, but I can't, I don't see myself as the sole reincarnation of that person. And so, um, there, I, I, the, there may be threads of things that, that come through, but I, I definitely felt the need, uh, so overwhelmingly to finish the karma of whatever that person's desire was in that past life to sing that, uh, the Mozart arias, the later Mozart arias. So, and this is all true. And I followed up on it for those reasons. And the things that, like I said, they came together to make this happen. So, so that in, in as much that I was able to, to do things that, that were just so far off the grid of like studying in, in Europe, um, and and I found things that I was good at that I didn't realize, like diction. I know my diction isn't perfect when I'm saying these things right now, but when I'm singing and really working on that stuff, I have it, the ear to hear like these minute um, uh, nuances in uh, in language production, especially Slavic languages. And um, so uh, that was one of the talents that I uncovered was that ability to pronounce languages. Uh, in in a cool way, so where I can study pretty much any language, and and I've even studied obscure languages uh, that are like you know only four hundred thousand people in the world speak them. In order to help uh, some people, I learned uh, the language, and that thing, you know, that the ability to do that that I learned through opera and learned was there. Uh, I can apply to anything. That skill is just amazing. And so whatever I creatively feel like, okay, I want to, I want to procure that particular language for a while to, to help somebody or whatever. I love that kind of thing. And so that's what that brought to me. It's like, it's not like we're just giving of ourselves and nothing, we're getting nothing out of it. Amazing things occur. I also got a voice. I really don't comfortably sing those high Fs in the Queen of the Night anymore because, um, hormones change. And that was one of the things. I'm like right at the tip certain days I can hit those tippy top notes um 
and I can usually sing a little above that, but that aria takes a lot of stamina. And so um, it, it, it's one of those things that there's a little bit of diminishing returns if I try to push that right now. But I did what I was supposed to do. I got the feeling of singing that successfully uh, in front of an audience and the the vibration of of that person's essence getting to feel what that was like through my body um and uh i felt like that part was done so my payoff was that i've got a voice that i can apply to whatever i really want to sing right now and it's 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 one of those things that i gained more than i like would have lost in terms of uh time or effort in uh this skill that was acquired so I guess the 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 whole the bottom line of this again is to discuss like the idea of uh frustration as you're going through life and things aren't lining up the way you think they should. So in in my example I I wanted to be a famous flute player and play in uh these giant orchestras and do all this stuff that was high profile and solo a lot. And I, it took a long time for that to happen. When, when you study flute at a conservatory, even if you're in the top conservatories in the world, there are probably a thousand flute players that are qualified at least for any of these orchestra positions like the, you know, in Los Angeles or New York or those uh, big high profile orchestras. So that so you have all these people who are qualified and there are at most four positions and sometimes there will be auxiliary positions, you know, if you're playing Mahler or something, but um, in an orchestra, but the, the main positions are three to four flute players and there are the people who get those positions don't want to let go of them because they, if the ones that pay well are few and far between and, um, you know, once you land a position like that, you're going to hold on to it with everything you've got. So I got out in the world and there I had, like I said, had to work all these other jobs, but I realized that I was following my own directive. There is no template that I was supposed to follow other than my own. And I knew somewhere in my mind that, that there were some things going on, like there were some talents that were hidden that needed to come up also to, to fill out the perspective or the fill out my uh directives and the i believe that everybody has to follow up or doesn't have to but it's incumbent upon us to follow up on just about every skill we are given because that is our skills and our uh, understanding of the world and our perception and some nuancey things like visions and these these things that we follow up on uh, where we feel just this need, like, why am I, I wanting to study that? Or why am I trying to feel, follow up on these things? The directives are very um, deep. They aren't this cursory, well, I got on uh, TV. I played for 8 million people one time uh, on, a, on CNBC's Power Lunch. And uh, the, how I got that gig was odd. I just called them up and said, you're going to be in my area. And somebody had canceled and they needed somebody right away. And my dad actually told me, he's like, why don't you call them up? I was like, dad, you're crazy. You're crazy. And then I called them up and they're like, oh yeah, we need this. Send us a packet overnight because we didn't have internet at that time. And that was broadcast all over the world. And I wrote all this stuff overnight, um, like 13, I think, bumpers for the different things. Because you couldn't, you know, they didn't have time to get licensing or whatever. So it had to all be original 
music. So I spent all night uh, writing that and we were uh, played live for that situation. And um, I pulled a band together, had all my buddies show up. I'm like, okay, help. And they all came and did the thing. And um, it, it turned out amazingly well, but it takes a flexibility to follow up on that kind of thing too. just be like, oh shit, there's an opportunity. And so, um, uh, the the other cool thing about that is I had a jazz CD that was out and it sold some copies because of that exposure. Uh, I had a distributor for that and I had done that all myself um, as far as like writing the stuff and recording it and um, sending it off to different people. And I had a few distributors for the jazz CD. Um, so, but that's following the Dow, you know, it's, I didn't really want to call up these people in New York and be like, Hey, I'm this person you have no idea of, uh, can I please play on your friggin' 8 million broadcast show? And so, um, but, you know, for a long time, I would get a thing like that and then nothing. And then get a thing like that and and then nothing. And so I ended up just doing what I wanted to do. I, I was like, okay, there is no right or wrong way to do this. Obviously, I've got a very complex set of directives in the music field and other fields. Other things started to come in. You know, I started practicing art and other things. But um, I kept following, just following up and following up. And I'm in a position right now where a lot of stuff is landing where where I want it to be. Like I, I've, I've gotten a lot of musical stuff. I've gone through, um, some stuff being a, a counselor and other things where that brought me this huge sense of feeling, um, for humanity. Uh, I had that before just this need to help everybody get through fear and all that kind of thing. But that just deepened it to the point where it's like, oh my gosh, you know, um, these surface things that we want or th- and think are success are ridiculous sometimes. It's like, and I've met some of the people that um, have been controlled for a long time and some of them are not alive anymore because they just gave up. They're like, they were famous and they were controlled a lot by management and, you know, all these things. And I, the, uh, the one person I'm thinking of in, in particular was just railing against things and, and rebelling uh, internally and externally against all this expectation that was levied on them. And they are not on the planet anymore because they just, for, for whatever reason, uh, you know, lost that thread, lost their, their own connection to what they were supposed to do or what they felt like they were supposed to do instead of what people levied on them as being uh, what they were supposed to do. So, um, and you know what? It's going to go in a kind of a flowy zigzag pattern. There are a bunch of things that I have yet to do and want to do. And uh, continuing this podcast and kind of, uh, sparking hopefully people to, to really take your journey seriously. And none of what I'm talking about is like a brag thing. I'm not going, Oh, things are great for me. I'm still going through some shit and dealing with stuff, but certain things are coming together to let me know that, uh, I'm on the right path. And there are times in my life, there have been times where I was, it was like that deja vu feeling. You're right there and you're like, I feel as if something has aligned and I think deja vu is kind of an artifact of our minds in a certain way where we get, we get that familiar feeling of things, which may just be some kind of hormonal surge or, you know, neurosynaptic, whatever, jumping craziness or, and, um, this 
feeling that no matter what we would have done, we would be at this exact place at this exact time. And I believe those are check-in points. It's like, and you can go into the quantum thing of like, well, that's where all the, you know, I had a thought at one point where that's where all the quantum lives meet or most of them, uh, and resonate with each other for a minute and then they splinter off into all the, uh, into their, um, uh, separate strings, you know, um, it's where they kind of come together and, and remind us who we are. And then we go off into the other things. I don't know how all that works. I have a feeling that the quantum thing has a bit of a role to play, but it's probably not as, um, I don't know, as linear or, I mean, not linear, I guess, uh, it's not as cut and dried as this infinite number of lives happening and, and all these things playing out. I think that's a little bit of the analytical mind trying to wrap itself around the the concept of that. But those deja vu points are, are check-ins and a lot of times there's a sense of peace in those moments where it's like, I am exactly where I'm supposed to be. I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to do. And I guess the thing I want people to walk away from this podcast with is there's no right way to do your life. Obviously, we don't want to be, you know, um, adding more pain to things. You know, I think the goal is to get through pain and fear and get to these um, uh, open-hearted, flowing states where that is less of, of less dominant, let's say. Um but, uh, and, you know, that sense of balance and the, you know, yin-yang thing coming together and being balanced. But um, your template is your template. And, you know, we get a lot of pressure externally to be a certain thing a certain way. And none of us can do that. That's all theoretical. And so the point is, you know, you can listen to other people, but they are sounding boards for you. You're the one who has to make those decisions and gets to make those decisions. And people run everything through their own experience when they're either judging somebody or evaluating where they are in life. And the fact that they would like to do that shows a person that, okay, they're not happy with necessarily where they are. So they have to start looking at other people and go, well, I'm better than that person, which nobody is, you know, we're all kind of dealing with, uh, the zeitgeist, like, okay, what's the economy like? What's all these things? Um, I don't try to play into the economy directly because I usually end up being the most successful when the shit is hitting the fan. And so I guess I'm, uh, one of those people that, uh, thrives in chaos to some degree but I'm trying to to attenuate not necessarily attenuate that but like balance that so that it isn't just that and that I can kind of weather things um in the way that you know is more like it doesn't matter what the external circumstances are like so and there's an uh, a model for this like the um the whole fractal thing the where you know the fractal is that it looks like a, one of those ferns, uh, fiddlehead ferns that, that turns in on, it's like a scroll pattern. And the way we follow a lot of these, uh, directives and follow up on our, 
our skill sets and all that is we we end up you know following the line or the the curve of that and sometimes we get cul-de-sac we like get you know it's like a plateau so the the fiddlehead fern kind of it rolls in on itself and and it seems like there's nowhere to go with it but there there's always a point where that kind of can spin off into another one and curl around and it's like it's it's progressing in its own way but it's spinning off of that previous knowledge so um one decision or one um thing that you go through in life will lead to the other and you're geniuses with this everybody knows if we if we trust ourselves and know ourselves and and get out of that pressure to be a certain type of successful then our type of successful, which is what these other people that we see as models for that did. They followed their own path. I'm not a big Madonna fan, but that person followed up on some shit that nobody was privy to. She just was like, this is what I know needs to happen. And again, she's not like my favorite or anything, but I have to admire the fact that she just was like, this is what's happening. This is what, this is I got, what I've got to do. And she went for it. Prince was like that too. I am a big fan of Prince. And, um, he followed up on things in, in some, they both, uh, had very odd conditions, uh, from which to try to craft their lives. And they did, and they followed up, uh, exceptionally well and and then the the point after that is to also trust that you can find balance um so uh as as these things align and we get these points of the deja vu that I talk about talked about or the um feelings of like oh I am doing it I am here it, those are like uh the hole punch in these energy these cosmic paper energies like each each of those imagine each of those uh, kind of skill sets that developed or the the th- experiences that a person gains is like a, a page in a in a binder and the there's a point where that alignment happens and those holes are punched and put in this like cosmic binder and it basically uh, is the akashic story happening and it and then as at once the those little if we pay attention to those times when we're like oh alignment is happening we realize that our story is beginning to make sense and the only justification we need for that obviously i'm i'm a proponent of not bringing more pain in the world so i'm hoping that 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 is um evident uh you know in the reasonability reasonableness of whatever i'm trying to say but um this feeling that we are on track, the ability to trust that is what I'm getting at here. And this realization that success may mean one thing, you know, on that uh, external because world, because again, I was, I was getting at this and I don't know if I said it or not, but people can only process your vision through their eyes and through their experience. And if they don't have that sense of what you know, they're going to foist on you something that is from their perspective, which is limited. They don't have all the information. And yes, we, we talk to people in order to get more information and um, soundboard and bounce things off of, but they don't know more. I want to reiterate that. I may have said it twice. I don't give a shit. It's they may, they just don't have enough information. And, you know, all these, like, movies that we see and books that we read about people who had to struggle early on, um, 
because nobody really could see their vision. Uh, the reason those stories are important is that your story is a lot like that too. If, if, if you're like looking for external validation or resonance with what you're trying to get done and the people that you bounce it off of, you may love them, they may love you, or they may have some information, but they don't have all the information that you have. So you have to pick and choose what you can use from them. Because they say something, I had trouble with this a long time ago and I've gotten over it. Just because somebody says something doesn't make it gospel. If they say, well, like I had um, uh, some, one of my family members was like, well, you're not going to make it in the music business just because it's really hard. And it was like, that hit me right when I was like trying to, and to, to get things done, you know, I was in college and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, what a low blow. And they were, they, in their mind, I think they were trying to protect me or whatever, but, um, they wrote me a big old long letter saying how rough the music industry was. And I'm here trying so hard. But the thing is that person had no idea the level of talent that I was harboring and the, the, the things that I was seeing were possible and to try to justify that and get through um, those uh, rapids, basically, in, a, in that tiny little raft, you know, of uh, belief in oneself is very hard sometimes. But I would not trade a single moment of my life up to this point for what I've learned and to the point where I've gotten. I'm 56 years old and things are opening up for me in ways that I can't explain. I'm just so excited about it, but it has taken a long time, over a half a century. The question is, do you have the patience to to take something that far? I didn't know if I did, and it turns out that I did. But man, and, and there are things that I want to improve. There are things I want to do better, but the trust is there now. The trust is that I do have a certain amount of control. You have a certain amount of control. I don't care what you're doing. You have a talent. Every single person listening to this has a talent. And when you follow up on building that skill set, you may not see a payoff for a while, but you are developing a relationship with that talent. And certain talents may go from like, you know, if you're, you're older and you're like, oh, well, I want to be a pro athlete. There's a way to be what you want to be. Just don't put a name on it yet. You know, it, it's not just about, um, like teaching that particular thing. If somebody came up to me, a young person the other day and he's like, well, I'm teaching a lot. And this person is like super friggin' talented. Oh my God. You know, um, and he's like, well, I'm teaching a lot. And people have said that those who can't do teach, I'm like, no person, people teach because they can learn some more things. If you keep your eye on the prize and keep after, you know, wanting to perform more and doing all this stuff, teaching will actually teach you more about your instrument or what you're doing. And if you see it that way, it's all about the perspective. This is what I'm hammering so hard is that there is something out there for a person that is not just defaulting to a teacher. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to be a teacher, but when you are wanting to be a performer and you get stuck teaching to survive, it has a vibe to it that's hard to handle sometimes. And I have some crazy goals for when I'm older to be really good at martial arts when I'm over 60. 
And so I'm following up on that and studying jujitsu, you know, and it helps me mentally balance, you know, it's again, uh, the yin yang thing. I'm so internal and so cerebral with most of the things that I'm doing and spiritual. I need that, um, balancer of this external martial art to, to, um, keep the, the flow, uh, optimized, you know? So again, get creative with it. Open up, find what you really want to be doing. And this, don't let somebody steal your, your joy in what you do. Like I said, those early times when I was offered uh, possible like record deals and stuff, I would have lost control and not developed into this thing that, or person, I don't know how you want to call it, but developed into the um, dynamic that I wanted to develop into and flow into the just the the best version of myself I could be um being famous at something you don't want to do is like a shit show I mean it's ridiculous and um so these levels of satisfaction I I wrote on Facebook the other day um yesterday uh that the long-term goals are where a lot of satisfaction um comes you know where 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 it, it resides and we live in times where people want instant gratification. We know that, but to keep an idea of this long-term thing and, and imagine yourself doing it, what you want that to feel like and be in that excellence and the elements, the, the universe conspires to help you as you um, keep that in mind. But the idea of having too much uh, specificity for exactly how those goals are going to manifest, that's taking the control out or that's taking the power away from the relationship with the universe. And um, it, it will make these some of these um, successes seem like failures because they don't match this idea that wasn't really uh, accurate anyway. I want to be the Lori Lacey version of success, successful, not just a copy of somebody else. And I want that for you. So don't let anybody talk you out of your power. That shit is yours. I hope that's food for thought. Follow it. Follow the Tao or the, the energy of things. Listen to the universe. Again, don't let anybody talk you out of your power. That shit is yours. Have an awesome week.